Well, good morning. Welcome to Soul City. My name is Jarrett. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a little odd to be talking about spring coming at the end of April. I think all of us who are true Chicagoans knew when we had 80 degree days in March, we were going to pay for those somewhere. And we ended up paying for them the whole month of April. So it's nice to consider that spring might actually come to our fair city one day. Uh, we're continuing in our series, actually concluding our series, Life After Jesus. We've been looking at what happened after the events of Easter, which we all celebrated a couple weeks ago. What happened to that first band of followers, those first few who had devoted their lives to Jesus? What came next after he left? And so before we get into that message and the stuff that we're going to talk about this morning, I want to let you know about what we're going to be talking about next week, just so that you can prepare and you know what's going on around here at Soul City Church. Uh, next week, we're kicking off a new series. So we tend to teach in things we call series, or like little month-long focuses on a passage of Scripture, on a biblical principle. Next week, we're devoting our, the whole month of May to relationships, and we're kicking off a series called Relationship Revival. We are having a come-to-Jesus talk about our relationships, and I know that none of you currently have complicated, frustrating, um, I know that none of you have dysfunctional relationships, but I bet you know people who do, uh, and they may be with you, so I would encourage you to think about uh, that. We're going to talk about the full gamut, so from single to dating to married to family, friends, all of it. We're going to devote our time and our focus in God's Word around what God would have us do to honor Him with our relationships. This is a vital, vital, vital teaching that's clear and consistent throughout the Scriptures, and I think if we apply to our lives, we'll actually see not only our lives change, but our relationships change. So next week, we're having like old-school revival when it comes to our relationships, so we don't want you to to miss that. This week, we're uh, looking at the church, specifically the evolution of the revolution of the church, and how is it that it grew? What we're going to be looking at and focusing on our time this morning is, how does a thing like this grow? How does it go from a very few, like a handful of believers, to a worldwide phenomenon that has prevailed for the last 2,000 years? And the church has had plenty of bright and beautiful moments, as well as dark, disappointing moments. But all throughout history, since the events that we're looking at this morning, the church has not only prevailed, it has grown So much so, in fact, that we are a part of that here this morning. You being here is a part of what we're going to look at in God's Word this morning. How does a church, a movement like this, grow? And what we're going to look at together over the course of our time is that it's not as complicated as we make it. And it doesn't have to do with big campaigns or or, or crusades, although they have their place. It doesn't have really much to do with that. It has to do with ordinary, everyday people like you and me sharing the love of God. So to get to the answer of how a church grows and how this church that we're going to look at in God's Word grew so much, I want to ask you another question. So to answer that question, I'm going to have you answer another question. So you're going to turn back to the person you just previously spoke with, and I want you to answer this question. And I don't want you to think about it too hard. I don't want you to try to give a churchy religious answer. I want you to answer honestly and as quickly as possible. What is your favorite restaurant in Chicago? Now, don't think about it too much. It's a very deeply spiritual question, okay? Don't think about it too much. Just turn to the person next to you. What is your favorite place to eat in the city of Chicago? All right, go ahead and turn to the people next to you. Answer it. Don't even think about it. Don't be ashamed of whatever it may be. Just don't say chilies. All right. Now, I have made a huge preaching error. I have talked about food at the start of my sermon. And I know that this is probably all you're going to think about for the rest of the time. It's okay. I believe you can stay with me. You go with me. 
that answer that that question probably came fairly quickly. You maybe have several places that, you know, when you think of this is the go-to place, or specifically one of the best ways to think about it is when friends come into town, where do you want to take them, right? So one of the places for me for breakfast is the bongo room. I love, okay, so I got an amen. Okay, so good. Now we're preaching. All right, so bongo room, I mean, unbelievable breakfast. That's where we go on family dates with our kids. We love going there, and it's such a, such a great place. So big, huge breakfast, right? We love that. Uh, one of the places I have to take friends when they come into town, specifically when they want Chicago-style pizza, is I take them to Malnati's. Malnati's is hands down the best pizza in the world. And if anyone comes to town saying, oh, what about Gino's? I just, I slap them in the face. I say, no, no, it's not okay. You're not my friend. And so we, we are huge, you know, we love Malnati's, we love, always have, always love that, it's a great way. When it comes to desserts, we love Sweet Mandy B cupcakes. We love getting some Sweet Mandy B cupcakes. You, it's, I think, $42 per cupcake, but it is so <laughs> worth it, and it's so worth it. We have those places, right, that, that you love and that you know about. When someone asks you about them, you don't even have to think twice. You love sharing with people the thing that you love the most. And that's just a very human thing for us. The things that we love, we love to share. The, th- the things that we, we really love and we really care about, we love to share with other people. We want other people to experience them and love them like we do. And so when people ask, hey, what, you know, have you read any good books? You love to tell them the favorite book that you just read or have you, any good music, any good movies, whatever it is. When you love something, you love to share it. Maybe you're in a new relationship and you love sharing that with everyone else. You love telling your, all your friends about your new boyfriend or your girlfriend. You, you do it a lot, all right? And, and, and that's a great thing. It's a normal thing. If you have kids... All someone has to say is, do you have kids? And five minutes later, you're still going through your iPhone showing them pictures because you just, when you love something, you love to share it, whatever it may be. And so the question for us to consider this morning is, for those of us who would call ourselves Christians, how is it and why is it that the thing we claim to love the most is oftentimes the hardest for us to share? How is it that when someone asks where they should eat, or what they should listen to, or what they should read, we'll spout them off passionately. And we'll say, oh, you've got to do this. You have to do this. But when it comes to the God that we love, so oftentimes that is the hardest thing for us to share. We get flustered, frustrated. We fear rejection. Well, if I, if I, if I mention this, if they found out at work that I was that, a Christian, it would change things. It would change things. Oh, if I had to do that with my family, I, to share God, share God's love with my family, you'd understand, they actually know me. They know my whole story. It's not going to go over. I mean, to actually share God's love with my neighbors, the people in my building, I don't even know what that looks like. And so while it's so easy for us to share all these things we love, for many of us, those of us who call ourselves Christians, when it comes to the thing we claim to love the most, so often we either fear to share or fail to share it with others. Now, can you imagine what would happen if that just continued? Can you imagine if if everyone who actually loved God and claimed to have a relationship with God refused to share the love of God with others? Many of you wouldn't be here today if that were so. Many of you wouldn't be where you're at in your life if someone hadn't shared God's love with you at a key pivotal moment. Imagine if they hadn't. Imagine if a, a whole church or a movement of churches said, you know what, that, this is fine and good, we, 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 we accept God's love, and you know what, we're just going to kind of hold. We're going to kind of hold this, and we're going to kind of sort of keep this to ourselves. Sadly, that is what many churches have done, is they've somehow determined that they must be the gatekeepers of grace, 
And they're the ones that sort of decide sort of who gets in and, and who keeps out, who stays out. They, they've sort of figured that, you know, this love of God is a great and powerful thing, but it's a personal, private thing, and it's our thing. Or at least it's for people like us. And maybe you felt that rejection from a church before in your life. It's a very painful thing, isn't it? Where you felt like this place that claimed to have the love of God was somehow keeping you on the outside or wasn't sharing it with you. I remember experiencing this as a young kid. Uh, I had the privilege of sort of coming to faith in a church that had just started much like ours. You know, our church is only 18 months old. It's amazing to see all that God has done. Wow. Our family just happened to be a part of a church that got started where I grew up in the Bay Area. And so there was a lot of folks who had come from, you know, very far from God lifestyles, whose lives were being radically changed by God, and that's what was making up this church. A bunch of folks who were far from God going, wait a second, God loves me, and people were sharing God's love with them, and it was this beautiful thing, and the church was, was growing. At that time, I was probably about eight or nine years old, and uh, one of my older brothers, Scott, uh, who I loved deeply, and he was kind of my hero that I look up to, and he was several years older than me, and he was just in a rough spot in life. All of us have had those. He was just in kind of one of those seasons where he just didn't know what to do with his life and wasn't sure. He was making bad decisions. In fact, he was just, he was sinning boldly. He was just making bold sins, and, you know, it was kind of like, you know, you look at the surface and go, okay, his life's kind of a wreck in, in that season, and that season certainly didn't last forever, but that was where this season was, and so I remember one morning, for whatever reason, Scott had to take me to church. He didn't do the church thing. My parents did, me and my brother Justin did, but that wasn't really his thing. But for whatever reason, this morning, he had to go, he had to take me. Maybe my parents bribed him, or maybe they left me there at the house, and he felt obligated to do so. For whatever reason, we pulled up in his Camaro, and of course it was a Camaro, which is another one of the reasons why I loved him. And it was also always, as much as I remember, it primered. It never really got painted, so it was always primer gray. So it was kind of a metaphor for his life at that stage. And so we pull up to church, and I'm walking in. I'm so proud. I'm with my brother Scott. You know, I'm so proud. And friends, I've shared this story before. Maybe you've heard this story before. I got not three or four steps into the lobby. I didn't even get to the cool cafe yet. I mean, I, we had just walked into the lobby. And a woman walked up who I knew, who had come from a very, very, very hard life. And God had radically changed her life. People had shared God's love with her. Her life had been radically changed. But for whatever reason, this morning, I don't know the full backstory. She walked right up to my brother Scott, and the words that came out of her mouth were this, what are you doing here? And I knew in that moment, this was a, I mean, at eight, nine years old, this was a significant moment. This wasn't how it was supposed to go. And all I remember really from that moment is my brother Scott letting go of my hand. I thought he was going to, you know, think he was going to throw down. I thought, you know, it was going to get intense in church. He let go of my hand, he turned around, and he walked out the doors. And sadly, with the exception of a few weddings, he hasn't been back since. And you may have felt that rejection. What happens when people refuse to share the love of God? And in fact, people not only refuse to share it or fear to share it or kind of hold on to it, but they hoard it and, and deem themselves the gatekeepers of grace, the ones who are supposed to check the IDs at the door. It's not at all what God intended. And sadly, it's not unique and it's not new. And what I love about the Bible is it tells the very real story of very real people like you and me and the very real struggle that they faced when the church began. 
of will they be a people that radically accept others and extend grace with no questions asked. That was the vision that Jesus had for the church. In fact, we're going to look at Jesus' words that he gave for his plan and hope and vision and dream for the church, and then we're going to look at how the church responded to it that day, and then we're going to take a challenge upon ourselves of how we will respond to it this day. So if you would grab a Bible, please. We're going to look at Jesus' vision for the church. Now, he didn't lay out a step one, step two, step three. He gave them a big picture. He said, now go and do it, and I'm out, and he left, all right? So we're going to look at what he said. It's found in Matthew 28. You can turn in the blue Bibles if you want, Matthew 28. It's on page 921. Hey, let me say this. We say this every week. If you don't own a Bible and you're serious about taking steps in your spiritual growth, I would encourage you to take this one home with you. Steal this Bible. We love the fact that we have to stock and restock Bibles from this church. So let, hear this from me. If you don't own a Bible, you do now, okay? So feel free to write in it, underline things in it, do whatever you want, because we're going to dive into God's Word. We believe it has transformational truth for our lives. This is Jesus' vision that he gave literally just moments before he ascended into heaven, left this little ragtag band of followers to become the church. He said this, then Jesus said to them, talking to his disciples, he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says, this is very important, this is worth underlining, this is a mandate from Jesus, therefore, go and make disciples of who? Okay, good. So let me, I feel like I always have to explain this. When I pause, that's, I, I want to hear, like you can speak back, okay? So maybe you don't know the rules. That's totally fine. That's totally fine. Here's the rules. When I stop, you speak, okay? So I'm, we're going to read that again. I want to hear that back from you. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus said two very specific things. Go and make disciples. And these are very, very... Um, Direct words, go and make disciples. What is a disciple? It's not a word really used in our context and culture today. Disciple is one who follows the ways of. Jesus says, go and make disciples. That means help people learn how to follow me. He did not say, go and make people Christians. Go and help people be more religious. Go and help people sin less. Go and help people act holy. No, he said, go and make disciples. You go. You go, and where? Into all the world, making disciples, helping people become followers of me. Followers of me. Go and make disciples. And it's very important. Of all nations, all backgrounds, all people, this is his vision for the church, baptizing them, which we believe in here at Soul City Church, for anyone who enters into a relationship with Jesus, the Bible is incredibly clear. The next step is to be baptized, is to make this inward transformation outwardly known. And so Jesus says, this is what you do. Go and make disciples of all people, all nations. Then baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what it means to make a disciple. And surely I'm with you always till the very end of the age. Jesus is saying, this is your mission. You will not be alone. I will be with you. You share my story to all people at all times, anyone, anywhere, at any time. Make disciples. This is almost exactly what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. You can jump up to Acts 1.8 if you want. This is what we kicked off this series. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just several books ahead. Jesus says these words. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we sum that up the first week by saying here, there, and everywhere. 
You will be my witnesses. You will make disciples. You will tell my story. You will share my love wherever you go, whoever you're with, whenever, wherever, whoever. This was Jesus' vision for the church. This sounds like a great church, doesn't it? A church that says anyone's welcome here. That's one of the mantras we believe at our church is everyone is accepted and everyone's expected to grow. We're about making disciples, helping people follow the ways of Jesus. It doesn't matter where you come from, age, race, background, story, religious pedigree, past, whatever it is, you are welcome here. We're mandated by Jesus Christ himself to love and to go into all the world and share his story, share our story with the whole world, making disciples, baptizing them. It's a powerful vision for the church. And here's what's so amazing. As we looked at a few weeks ago, the church began on the first day. Peter preaches the first sermon. He never preached a sermon before in his life. On the first day of the day of Pentecost, he preaches his first sermon, steps back from the microphone, and what happens? 3,000 people join the church that first day. That's a, that's a good day. It's a pretty good day in church world. And then it begins to grow and continues to grow. As we looked at last week, they began to live this revolutionary way of living with God and for each other. And whether they shared their lives with each other. Everything up to last week, we're like, yes, 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 they got it. Well, they didn't keep it forever. In fact, very soon after the church began, something really interesting began to rear its head as it does in each of our own lives. The, the context, the background is that this was a church, this very first church, they wouldn't even call it the church at that point, but this, this movement of God was comprised entirely of people who had converted from the Jewish faith into faith in Jesus. So he was the completion, the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. Okay, all the law and the prophets, everything that they'd studied and heard, he was the fulfillment of all the celebrations and sacrifices. It was in Jesus. In fact, that was Peter's first message. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you have put your faith in. So the church is comprised of thousands and thousands and thousands of converts from Judaism to this new faith in Jesus. They didn't even call it Christianity. That came later at a big marketing meeting. So here you have all these thousands and thousands of people converting from Judaism into relationship with Jesus. And something really interesting begins to happen. Over a very short amount of time, people begin to bring back some of the old customs. Remember when we used to do this? this was, we don't have to like give that up, right? We can still celebrate this, and we'll just kind of put a Jesus twist on it. We, we can still sort of bring back some of our old practices and some of our old things. In fact, there was a very strong group of people that had made a stand in the church saying, look, these people are coming and they're putting their faith in Jesus. That's great. But what we need to know is, are they really, really committed? And in our old faith, in our old way, the way that you knew, at least among the men that people were really committed, is that you would circumcise them. Now, I'm not going to go into specifics on that. But that was like one of the ways of the old covenant with God. And so there was a group that grew called the circum... Well, I call them the circumcision crew. And they grew within the church. And they would say to Peter and they would say to the leaders of the church, look, we need to know who's in and who's out. This is how we used to do it. That's how we should do it again. So can you see what began to happen? People began to become the gatekeepers of grace. Well, these are the type of people that God has brought to us. So this must be the type of people that God wants. And only these people. The church began to look less and less and less like Jesus and more and more and more like them. 
And anytime that happens, that is a very dangerous place to be. Anytime your preferences move to prejudices, we're in trouble. And that's what began to happen. In fact, so much so, I want us to jump to Acts chapter 11. It's page 1015. Let's look at how much this had affected the church. Acts chapter 11. We're, we're just barely into the, 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 you know, the first quarter of the life of the church. And the church faced persecution. It faced oppression. It was a threat to the religious establishment of that day. It is also a political threat as well. So the strong hand of government and of religious leaders began to push down on the church, and the church began to have to run and flee for its life. It became an underground movement. In fact, people were not only being arrested and imprisoned, they were beginning to be killed for their faith. That's how serious this revolution called the church was. It was that big of a threat. Their way was so different and so challenging to the norm that people began to be killed for their faith in Jesus. And so this is what happens in Acts eleven nineteen. It says, now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. So he was the first Christian to be killed, the first disciple of Jesus to be killed because he believed in Jesus. So when those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. So these are places well out of the reach of Jerusalem where the church had been based and had stayed. Remember what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. At that point, the church had stayed exclusively in Jerusalem. Now, because of persecution, it's spreading throughout the known world. In fact, it was actually leaving what the world that most Jews felt safe in and spreading out to pagan cultures, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. Now, look what's really interesting. This is what they do. Spreading the word, what's the word there? Only among Jews. Isn't that interesting? So here they are being killed for this radical faith, this radical grace that has saved their life. And so they are now being on, kind of on the move because the strong hand of oppression and persecution is pressing down on the church. So as they run for their lives, so proud and bold to wear this faith in their lives, but the only people they share it with are the people like them, the people that they knew and familiar with and were comfortable with. It doesn't take long for the church to become gatekeepers of grace. But this is what's interesting. There's a rebel band among them. Acts 11, verse 20. Some of them, and I long for this to be true of me in my life, some of them got it. They got it. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Now, this is very significant. It's the first time this happened in the moment of the church. They began to speak to people outside of the Jewish faith, outside of people like themselves, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, this is a very significant moment in the life of the church. Up to Acts chapter 11, the church had been exclusively Jewish converts to the way of Jesus. But now some among them said, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Guys, remember like before Jesus left, you told us that he said some stuff. What did he say? Oh yeah, he said, go into all nations. Remember what Jesus said? He said that you'll start in Jerusalem, but then you'll go to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they kind of looked around and they're like, yeah, I think this is the end of the earth. Like, is this, this is well beyond what we're comfortable with. And yet here are people with whom we can share the love of God. Here are people among us who no longer need be excluded from God's grace. 
but radically included into the family of God, into the way of Jesus, making disciples, making disciples. Powerful, powerful shift for the church. It was God's plan all along. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 28 and Acts 1.8, that God's people would share God's love with all people, anyone, anywhere, at any time. That they would share their life, they would share their story, they would share what God had done in their life, what they'd seen God do. They would share and share and share to anyone at any time, anywhere they were. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, at home, at work, in my neighborhood, with my friends, anywhere, wherever, and whoever God has me with. I would share the love of God and not be someone who sort of keeps it in to myself, holding it in, holding on, but rather letting go and offering to anyone, anywhere, at any time. I, I love the way that God is doing this in and around our church. I love the way that God is um, inviting us and the way that you as a church are responding to sharing his love in these walls and outside these walls. It's both. I love that in this building, in this place, I love that at gatherings like this, we come, and in fact, this is what I love, you may be sitting in this room right now because someone shared the love of God with you and you thought, okay, I'll go. All right, I'll go. Now, it doesn't hurt that they have incredible kids ministry. It doesn't hurt that there's cute boys and cute girls there, whatever. Like, doesn't hurt, that's fine too. But someone shared the love of God with you and you're sitting in this room because of it. And that's a powerful thing. That is how the church has continued to grow for the last 2,000 years. It happens inside these walls. It happens inside these walls at think, circles like Starting Point. We have a group called Starting Point. And it's a safe place to ask, ask your big spiritual questions. It's a safe place to say, wait, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand. How does this work? I was having lunch two weeks ago with a guy who's a part of our church, and that's exactly where he's at. He's like, okay, I, don't, I, I, I want to read the Bible. I don't know where to start. I, I, I tried in Genesis once, and I fell asleep like three minutes into it. I'm like, it's okay. That happens to all of us. Like, you know, so to be able to say, you know what, I think the best next step for you is starting point. And every time that circle gathers here at our church, you, you see the love of God shared, lives shared, the story of God shared. I love that our church hosted a benefit this last week for an organization um, here in the city, and people kind of from all over the place came in. It was not really a religious event by any means, but it's a cause that we believe in, and one of the folks that was a part of that that night was kind of walking around just looking at everything in our church, you know, and kind of I had to finally ask, like, wait, this is a church? This doesn't feel like a church. And said to a friend there with, like, like I would go to a church like this if, if they would ever go. I would go to a church like this. I love that that kind of stuff happens in here. We love that we see the love of God shared in this place. We see it shared upstairs with Soul City Kids every week. We see it shared in these walls, small groups that gather all throughout this church, all throughout the week. It's a beautiful thing when we share it in here, and it's part of what it means to be a part of the church. But it's not just in here. Because I think where the church might have missed it many times is that the assumption is that it just happens in here. But that's not the mandate that Jesus gave us. It's not just in here, it's also out there. 
and the way that this church, the way that you are present at Brown Elementary School, reading to kids at nine in the morning, showing up on a Saturday to clean up classrooms, to make a space to help facilitate a future for these kids and these families. Listen, you are sharing the love of God in very real and tangible ways. Now, it may not look like, you know, having to sit down and give a sermon. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus said. He said, go, tell my story. Be my witness. Make disciples wherever you go. Every time we gather, we serve there or break through urban ministries. It's a way that we get outside these walls and share the love of God. I love the way that you open your homes, that we open our homes to each other in small groups and to the neighborhood. To open your door to say, you know what, I'm going to host a little like grill out for my building. And I'm just going to invite some neighbors that I see all the time. And you know, it's not real complicated. No one's going to get up and preach. It's not, no one's going to receive an offering. It doesn't have to be weird. It's just going to be a, a good neighbor. I want to open my doors and I want to share the love of God in the place where I'm at, with whoever, wherever, whenever. I love, we love hearing the stories of how that's happening. Sandy Steiner, who we prayed for last week, if you, if you were here at the 9 o'clock and the 5 o'clock service, is battling breast cancer right now. And our church has rallied around to support and pray for her. And talking with her this morning, seeing her at church this morning, how alive she is. And saying, grabbing some of us on our staff and saying, you have to know, my whole life, I didn't want to share it. I was so afraid to share it. I was so afraid of people rejecting me. She's like, it took cancer for me to finally get over myself. And she's like, now I just can't stop telling people who God is and what he's doing in my life. She's like, I've never ever experienced it like this before. I mean, it's, it happens in here. Don't get me wrong. But it is so beautiful when it happens out there. Because the church is, is just as much about, you know, kind of come and see as it is go and be. There are people in your life for whom sharing the love of God really truly means come and see. You, you just got to come and see. Would you come and and come to this church with me. Again, you may be sitting here because someone said those exact words to you. Just come and see. They'll give you a free coffee mug. It's great. You come out ahead at the end. Just come and see. And there are people in your lives in that stage that they're at in their life and their spiritual journey. The best thing for you to say is just come and see. I'm not going to preach at you. I'm not, I'm not going to throw anything down your throat. Just come and see if this thing is for real. If this God is for real and the love that these people share with each other is real. There are people in your life right now. I know that you have names in your head. You go, that, yeah, that is one of the greatest ways for me to share the love of God is to say, come and see. But there are also people in your life who will never walk in these doors. Or at least it would take an act of God Almighty for them to walk through these doors. They may be in your family. You may be married to one. Maybe your roommate. And what Jesus' invitation to you is, is go and be. Go and be the church. Go into that world and be a light and life and love. Go and be. That's why I love our commitment of this church, as Katie mentioned. We're trying the best we can to be the church better seven days a week instead of just one. That's why I love, as a church, we, we are trying as hard as we can to stay committed to the moments that we share in here, actually have movement in our life out there. It would be a shame if we came here and sang great songs and heard from God's word and had an you know, okay, okay sermon. And, you know, like everything was so great. And then as soon as we hit the doors, we turn it off and we go on back to our worlds. That's not why we started this church. Our hope is that what we share in here, the moments we have in here, lead to movement in our life and throughout our city. And I got a sm small glimpse of what this looks like in a very humbling, but very real way, a very personal way for me. 
Again, it's, it's not always big crusades and that kind of stuff. That stuff's great. Lots of times it's small but significant acts of sharing the love of God with whoever, wherever, and whenever. And for me, it's my friend Addie. And for, you know, a year or so, uh, I sat in Addie's seat and she cut my hair. And so you all have this relationship with someone who cuts your hair, right? Unless your roommate does it or your husband or wife does it. But um, you sit and you have it an hour or so, you know, or for some of you, four, four or five hours. <laughs> where you have a relationship with this person. And so for me, when I met Addie and she started cutting my hair, I, it was just a small commitment that I felt God was inviting me into to say, would you just share my love with her? And so I began to leave her tracks on her counter that had a dollar bill. And when you flip it over, no, I'm, I would never do that. I'm just <laughs> totally kidding. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe you've done that. I shouldn't have said that. Jeannie's going to talk to me afterwards about that one. I didn't do that. But what I, I tried to do is, is just say, you know what, how can I when I'm with her for this hour, uh, focus the love of God on her. And so I think she knew at some point that I was a pastor, but we didn't talk about this church. We didn't talk about what goes on here. But I tried to do the best I can. What, what you, know, you probably do much better than I do is just ask her questions about her life. I tried to do as best I can say, so you know what, she probably has eight hours of small talk all day. Maybe for one hour I can ask her some intentional questions about her. And so we talked about her life, her family. She had kind of grown up going to church as a kid, but it had been many, many, many years since she'd been back. We talked about the loss of her brother. I talked about how her parents and their relationship with her and how they really wanted her to go to church, but she just felt like it wasn't time. We talked a lot over the course of a year. And then suddenly one day I come in, and she's all giddy and excited. And, I, you know, I'm like, is there a new relationship or what, what, what's going on? And she goes, no, I went to your website. I was like, oh, okay. She's like, I did my homework on you. I'm like, okay. She goes, your church, I want to go. In fact, I'm coming this weekend. And I was like, I'm so glad I invited you. Here, the pastor has spent a year and had yet to invite you. She goes, I want to come. I want to be there. And I'm like, okay, I'll see you there. And I have to tell you, I have to tell you, this is my friend. The way that you extend love to her from the first day she walked in these doors, and this is, again, this is two months ago, the way that this church has just said, you are welcome here. We're so glad you're here. The way that she would see some of you throughout the city and you go out of your way to say hi to her. To me personally, you have no idea what that means. But you have no idea what that means to God. And maybe you've walked in this church and you felt that warmth, that love, and acceptance. It's powerful, isn't it? And so what's so funny is Jeannie asked her after a couple weeks of her, you know, coming back to church and being a part of church, Jeannie said, why, you know, Addie, why did you decide to come? Clearly it wasn't because Jared invited you. Like, why, why did you decide to come? And she, and she said this, and I think this is something that every one of us maybe can grasp. She said, you know, all day, every day, I have to make small talk and pry things out of people and try and make the hour bearable. But your husband was the first person that came in and cared about me and, you know, asked me questions about my life and asked about what was important to me. And she goes, no one had really ever done that with me before. 
Now, friends, that is a small, and I mean very small, very small, but significant way to share the love of God. It's an hour that I'm going to sit through every month, and I can just go through it, and I can just sort of keep that love of God to myself and still be a good Christian, you know, like I can still kind of just sit through that and go, you know what, this is just a service, so you can go ahead and cut my hair, or you can sit across from a waitress or waiter or server and just have small talk with them and kind of go through the motions there. You can have a roommate that you have very little deep or meaningful or significant spiritual conversations with. You can go years in a marriage and never really bring up the deeper stuff. You can do all of that. Or you can accept the invitation of Jesus to be one who shares his story, who shares your story of what God has done in your life with anyone, anywhere, at any time. It may not be a sermon. In fact, it probably shouldn't be. It may not be a profound confrontational moment where you have to kind of explain everything. Look, you may be sitting here going, I don't, I barely know the questions, let alone the answers. But God is changing your life. And if he's changing your life, you have something to share. God is moving in your life and restoring your marriage. And if that's happening, you have something to share. God is walking with you through a very difficult season right now. And if that's your story, you have something to share. And the way the church has grown and the way the church has moved is not through campaigns and crusades and all that sort of stuff. It's through ordinary, everyday people like you and me sharing the love of God anywhere, with anyone, at any time. You have something to share. It's your life, your story, the love of God. And so I'm going to invite the band to come back right now. And I want us just to consider, like, what might happen if this church actually committed itself to that? What would happen is if you looked at the place where you work as you go, okay, okay, tomorrow, like for real, tomorrow. Who is it? Where is it? When is it that I can share the love of God? And to actually like anticipate. Because my hunch is I say work and there are already three people you go, but not with them. (laughs) Not there. What would it look like for you to, in small but significant ways, be an encouragement? Have an intentional conversation. Ask someone their story. To to be present with someone. To actually sit down and have lunch with everyone in the office instead of hiding in your office and working through. What about in your family? Maybe with people that you're connected to, related to your parents or grandparents. or Maybe your spouse. And you've gone years and you've never had these kind of conversations. And there's something you believe and they know, but you kind of go to church and they let you go and then you come back and you don't really talk about it. What would it look like for you today to say, you know what, I want to share this with you because I love you, I care about you. And if I love God, then I love to share what I love about him. And so it may be in your family. Maybe the person that cuts your hair. For me, uh, it's someone in my family I care about deeply. He's asking spiritual questions. And I know that I'm the person that God has put in his life at this moment right now. And so how is it this week that I'm actually going to extend the love of God in small but significant ways to him? Can you imagine if we actually did that? If we actually did that for this neighborhood? You know, there's 164,000 people that live in a one-mile radius of this church. You draw a circle in one mile around this church, 164,000 people, each of them opportunities for us to extend the love of God. Some of you take where you live very seriously. You're proud of where you live. What if you were to look at where you live as the place where God has put you to share his love?
What if you looked at your building as a place where you're the pastor of? And again, you're like, I don't know all the answers. I don't know how to do all that stuff. No, but you have a story, and God's changing your life. You have something to share. And so what if you looked at your building as a place that God has put you to share his love, or your block, your street, when you walk to work, when you walk the dog, wherever you're at, you walk by and you pray for every single house on your block. God, would you provide a way for me to share your love in this neighborhood? Can you imagine if in this neighborhood, we just took the buildings that surrounded this church and we said, you know what, I'm going to probably move anyway in a year. That's how things happen in the city. What if I moved here? What if I committed myself to being a pastor in this neighborhood? To being someone who cares for the 164,000 that surround this church. Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine how God would continue to grow his church through ordinary, everyday people like you and me, sharing the love of God with anyone, anywhere, at any time. We have nothing to hide. We have everything to share. So I want to pray for you right now. Pray for me. Pray for us. And then we're going to spend some time just reflecting on how good God's love is, how generous it is, and what an opportunity we have to share that in and outside these walls. Let's pray together right now. Jesus, thank you that this is your plan all along. We're the ones who messed it up. We're the ones who hold on to, who hide. We're the ones who let our fear determine our actions. We just don't want to live that way anymore. We want to tell your story, our story, to share your love anywhere, everywhere, at any time this week. So God, I pray even right now that you would put conversations, locations, like in our mind right now, people that we're going to interact with today, people that we're going to interact with tomorrow that we can intentionally extend the love of God to. Thank you that this was your plan to grow the church. This was how it moves forward, that it not just stay in here, but it goes out there and around the world. Thank you that you are the one who grows our church, the church, and we get to be a part of it. God, I pray that you would continue to grow this church in that way. Because when you do, God, you grow us. You grow us up in our faith and in our love for you. Thank you, God, for your love, which is changing our lives and has the power to change this neighborhood and change this city and change this world. Hear our songs, God. Hear our prayers to you now. In your name, amen.